Well, this morning I'm in a series called Kingdom, and I told you over the last several months I've been picking up everything I can on Kingdom from the Word of God, books, authors, listening to CDs, tapes. I just am intrigued with this thing called Kingdom. Last weekend I told you that Jesus got kicked out of the synagogue because he preached Kingdom. When they realized the message that he had, repent for the kingdom of hand, for the kingdom of God is at hand and it's near and it's in our hearts and through faith in Christ. So this morning, I want to talk to you about becoming a kingdom person and what is what is the aspects of that mean in our lives? Just some simple truths today that we'll look at in Mark, the first chapter, the 15th verse, there's a passage says the time promised by God has come at last. He announced the kingdom of God is near. Repent of your sins. And believe the good news. The kingdom of God is near. Repent, turn from your sins, and the kingdom of God is near. It's right here. And that is the good news of the gospel. Gospel means good news, not bad news. It means great news, marvelous news, infectious news, overflowing news, news that needs to get out. Amen? I mean, there's a lot of news we'll get out. Like if somebody gets engaged and people are always getting engaged around our church, they get the word out. You have a new baby, the word gets out. Now, you know, with texting and Twitter and Facebook and all these social mediums that we use all the time, I mean, it's like it gets out instantly. I mean, it's just amazing. Like, a lot of bad stuff gets out, but a lot of good stuff gets out. I mean, we just get to share good news all the time about what God's doing in people's lives and witnesses and testimonies and videos. And I, I read this. I want you to write it down. What is the kingdom of God? It is the range of God's effective will. It is the range of God's effective will, said Dallas Willard, where God, where what God wants done is done. It's like God himself is everlasting to everlasting, but what God wants to get done, and on all other places of all creation, God's will is done. But here he allows us to uh, misappropriate. We, we live, we have a sinful nature. We, we don't get in on what God wants and we miss it. And so sometimes God's kingdom doesn't get completely fulfilled in our life because of disobedience on our part, but our God allows us to repent, to turn to him. Is anybody thrilled today that, you, that we serve a God that he allows you to turn from your sin and turn back to him when you've blown it? Oh man, I mean, I, I, I'm very capable of blowing it. And when I talk with you, I'm realizing that you're capable of blowing it too. And uh, Matthew, the 18th chapter, the fifth verse Anyone who welcomes a little child, theirs is a kingdom. When we welcome little children, we, this video we talked about today was about kids. And Jesus said, you'll never enter the kingdom of God unless you become like a little child. Pure, innocent, childlike, and completely trusting. And that's what Jesus calls you and I to do is to, to repent, to, to believe, to trust, to be like a little child. You know, little children, they, they do what you ask them to do. And they rather do it quickly and they want to obey their mom and dad so much of the time. And they'll, you know, they'll jump off edges of pool into your arms because you told them you'd catch them. I mean, can you imagine telling your kid to jump off the bed or jump off something? Here, jump! Splat! Hey, kid, you got to get tougher. I mean, what a cruel parent. You catch them. And how much more does our loving Heavenly Father ask us to jump and to risk and to have faith, and to jump into the river of his love, and to trust him for an adventure. This past week on Wednesday night, when I led the small group that Donna and I are part of, it was a great night. It was my 36th spiritual birthday. 36 years ago, that night, 
I bowed my knees and my heart to Jesus Christ in my dorm room at Troy University. I was forever changed. And to this day, I still marvel at grace at almost four decades. I'm going, man, how old are you, brother? And it's just exciting to think about how great our God is. Is anybody thrilled today about their redemption, about their salvation, about how good God's come and been to you? You know, the Bible says if you're redeemed, say so. It doesn't go. If you're redeemed, don't say anything. It says if you're redeemed, tell somebody. If you're redeemed, testify. The lost world wants to know. In this fast we're in, we're finding ourselves in the middle of the Daniel fast. No, no, excuse me, lie. We are not in the middle. We're on the other side. It is day 15. Hallelujah. Amen. Yeah, the end is coming. The end is in sight. But we are believing God for great things, aren't we, church? Are y'all loosening the kingdom as we talked about, binding those things on earth as they are in heaven and loosening those things in heaven as they are on earth? Are you loosening and binding in Jesus' name? Well, your pastor is, man, with new kingdom authority. That's what I've been trying to talk to you about. So look at this first point. We come to know that God has a kingdom agenda. You know, we all got agendas. In the morning, you're going to get to work if you have a job. You're going to get to school and your teacher's going to have an agenda for you. You go to work, your boss will have an agenda. If you are the boss, you'll have an agenda for your employees for the day or for the week or the month or something, but you'll have an agenda. If you're married, I just want to know, does your mate have an agenda for you? Chicken. Yeah, I didn't say it very loud. We have agendas for each other. Your kids, they have agendas for you. God has an agenda. And the kingdom is about getting in on the agenda of the eternal, recognizing, pursuing the authority of God. In Exodus 23, it says, they, they shall have no other gods before me. See, God's real clear in his book, in his word, that he's got a kingdom, that he's got an agenda that he wants you and I to prescribe to, to submit to, to follow, to adhere to, to be conformed to. The only thing is, there's another competing voice, voices of the world, and they want their agenda. And their agenda is very glitzy and marketing and worldly. James talks about the craving of the flesh and the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life and agenda, agenda, agenda. I just want to get it in your spirit today thinking about this. I've been thinking about this for years. It's so easy for men especially, but I think women are guilty that we live compartmentalized lives. We, we, go to, we go to church, we do our religious thing, we worship God on Sundays, and if we're not careful, then we sit God over here, and then we go about the rest of our life, and we run at it with everything we've got. And then we come back, and there's another religious gathering. It might be Wednesday night or a small group or another Sunday morning, and we do it again. God wants the two to integrate. Do I have a witness here today? He wants us to be conformed. He wants us to follow him 24-7. Not to say, well, I put on my religious hat, now I'll go put on my party hat. Now I'll go put on my worldly hat. Jesus says, I want you to follow me. I don't want you to slip into your secular deal. I want you to have communication between the two worlds. The spiritual and the physical realm. The spiritual and the realm of this world. And man, they compete, don't they, church? Man, every day that I live, I realize how my soul is in conflict with this world and the world of my father. They're so different. The fast continues to intensify and to draw us to the heart of Jesus, to realize the teachings of Christ. In Luke 6, 46, And why call me Lord and do not do the things I say? 
You know, when you read Scripture, it's not just to go, hey, I want to get a religious education. I want to get a spiritual knowledge. I want to do some things that are important. But you go, I, I want to read God's Word that I can know what God's heart is, what God's agenda is, and then I might purpose to practice it and do it. God, help us to be people like that. There's a great book wrote called The Kingdom Agenda by Tony Evans. I've been in this church. I've listened to him live. I've listened to him on radio over the years. I don't listen to him as much as I did at one time, but I love him. His son was here. Uh, in truth, Anthony Evans, he seems like his dad preaches, but he tells this story, and I shared this with some of my guys that I meet with on Monday morning weeks and weeks ago, but I thought I should share it with you. Some of us in the room like football, and I'm not going to prescribe that all of you do. Some of you hate football. Some of you are so thrilled the Super Bowl is coming because it'll be over. And some of us are depressed. When college football ends, we get sad. Do we? Yeah, I mean, it's just a, <laughs> my wife said no. She, she was glad. Okay. All right. That's too loud. All right, here we go. Listen to this. Tony says, I love football, and I love to ask people, how many teams are on the field during a football game? Not a trick question. How many teams are on the field during a football game? Three. Hold on. I'm going to read the story. Hold on. All right. Some of you are like, which, which game you've been watching? Listen, I love this. Most people say two teams. That would be Christ's community, which is a common misunderstanding that gives me an opportunity to illustrate an important truth about God's kingdom and God's agenda. Listen to this. There may be two teams in uniforms and pads going at each other during a football game, but there are three teams on the field during the game. The third team is the officials. Oh, yeah, I don't like that team. Okay. They represent the National Football League. The officials represent another kingdom and operate within an established purview of their own rule book. You don't see officials on a football field asking the home team what he thinks about a certain play or penalty or asking the visiting coach if he thought his running back fumbled the ball or not. How stupid would that be? That makes the decisions not according to what the players or the fans want, but according to the rules league rule book. And he says he's required to study it, the official, to give this book long before he ever steps into the field, he's required to study it, learn it, memorize it, use it for every decision he makes on the field. This specialized, authoritative book contains the guidelines, rules, and regulations by which a football official is to manage the events around him. Although both teams are constantly pulling at the officials to make calls favorable to them, and coaches, I might add, the team official must, in spite of any personal reference or emotions, rule according to the ultimate authority of the kingdom's book. Every decision on a football field is validated by the book. And they have a commissioner of the NFL. Now let's go into the spiritual realm. In the spiritual realm, we have a book, and it is called the, the Bible, the Word of God. It's authoritative for people of the kingdom. And we have a commissioner, and he's not up for re-election. He's not up for retirement. He is the king of kings, and he's the Lord of lords. And we talk to him, we should play according to his rule as kingdom players in the kingdom agenda for the glory of Jesus Christ. Amen? Isn't that a great analogy? I just love that. When I read that, I could go on and on about this thing. The officials on the field are believers. The officials on the field are believers. And that's you and me. And we adhere, we hold we draw strength, we draw leadership, direction from the Word of God. And God wants us to embrace His Word every day. I'm always trying to tell you about how important God's Word is. So as, as the king, the king determines how we operate. The officials determine on the field how that game will be played. In life, Jesus determines how you and I should live our life. Now we've got free will. 
And we can play to Lucifer, we can play to the other team, to the opposing team, to the defeated foe. We can play to the devil, and, and man, that creates just a mess. Or we can play to the glory of Christ. In his kingdom, power goes to the one who recognizes they're weak, and they humble themselves. Now, that is so different from the kingdom of this world. This world says, be powerful, be in control, be in command, be whatever, but you're in charge. The kingdom of Jesus opposes that, and it says, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. God is drawn to the weak, not to the strong. See, in desperation, in my spiritual journey, that's when I'm more like Christ. When I'm humbled, when I'm broken, when I'm contrite, when I tremble at the word of God Almighty, said the prophet Isaiah, that's when I'm more like Jesus. And so are you. Are you broken before God? Are you asking God to do something great in you? Are you? Do you realize your weakness is a gift? You're like, ah, weakness? I don't like this weakness stuff. Weakness is kingdom. Weakness in the hands of Jesus does great things. When I read about weak people in face uh, or in light of the world, they might look weak, but so many times they have spiritual authority and spiritual power. So God wants to talk to us. Growing up in America... We were taught something as little kids. I remember it well as a six-year-old going to Dalreda Elementary School. We would walk in, and we would stand up with our crew cuts. We all had crew cuts then. <laughs> kind of look like that now. And we, and that wasn't funny. And we'd stand up, and we'd put our hand over our chest, and we would say, the Pledge of Allegiance. We would pledge our allegiance. They, they trained us to do that. And we pledged our allegiance to this nation, to this country. And it was a cool thing. And then we grow up and we continue to pledge. We don't probably do it as much now. And then we go to a ball game and they always make it something in there. And they'll have the national anthem and they'll sing the anthem over our country. And there's our allegiance and our devotion to our nation. And that's important. That's good. But I want to ask you, when's the last time you pledged your allegiance to Jesus? Do you pledge your allegiance and your affections and your time and your energy and your passion to him? You know, it's become part of my prayer. I have some ritualistic prayers, I have to admit, that I pray every day that are important to me, like putting on the armor of God and praying for wisdom and praying for compassion and stuff. And I've started this new thing. I'll be on my knees, and I just put my hand over my chest and I go, Jesus, I pledge my allegiance to you today to live for the king, to worship you, to be a witness, to be a warrior to be a worshiper of the most high God. My loyalty is to you, King Jesus. You're like, wow, you do that? I do. Because I need to be reminded, just as we were reminded as kids about our allegiance to this country, I want to remind myself that I'm born into another kingdom. It's a kingdom not of this world. It's a kingdom of my father. How about you? You're born into your father's kingdom. It's a uni unifying theme throughout the Bible whenever you and I look at the Bible from Genesis to Revelation that He's an absolute ruler over his domain. He has authority forever and ever. So just right beside that, prioritize God's kingdom above all other things. There's a lot of things that are going to scream for your attention. I promise you, today, tomorrow, next week, next month. So you got to go ahead and make a decision pretty soon up front. God, I can't afford to waste my time, energy, affections, emotions on lesser things. I need to make sure that I've got allegiance to Christ Jesus. In Psalm the 115th chapter, the third verse, it says, 
Our God is in the heavens, and he does as he wishes. I like that. He's a sovereign God. He's in the heaven, in the heavens, and he does as he wishes. He doesn't do what I tell him to do. He does what he chooses to do because he's God. In Psalm 145, verse 13, it says, For your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. You rule throughout all generations. The Lord always keeps his promises. He is gracious in all he does. And I've been thinking about that. The Lord is gracious to me. The Lord is gracious to you. The Lord has smiled upon you. He has been good to you. He has blessed you. He's given you health. But you know what? If we're not careful, we want a God that's on sale. We want a discount God. We want God to bend down to who we are. And we want God to bend to our rules. And God wants us to bend to his rules. So here it is. It's just a case that I'm trying to build once again for the word of God that you and I submit to his book, to his word, and say, Lord God, guide me. Give me, give me direction, Lord. When I get your kingdom, it means you rule. Because a kingdom implies that there's a king, and they're subjects to the king. And we are subjects as believers in Jesus Christ, and we submit to the king, and he, we yield, and we submit, we surrender, and he leads, and he guides, and he directs, and we bless him, and we praise him, and we worship him. And we come from the outer courts into the inner courts every Sunday morning corporately. Have you ever noticed that? We start in the outer courts, shaking off all the junk of the world. And Jeff and the team lead us every week, and we try to shake it off and praise and bless the name of Jesus. And slowly the service builds, and it builds, and we get more into the inner court, into the inner court, into the presence, into the inner sanctuary, and we worship King Jesus. That's what it, the Old Testament tabernacle teaches is getting into the Holy of Holies. We, we do it in a New Testament fashion. I can tell you all about this, but only those whose hands and hearts are pure who do not worship idols, says the psalmist. God wants purity. He takes responsibility. I've, I've thought about this lately. God takes responsibility for that which is his. And if it's not his, then it's not his responsibility. When you commit your life to Jesus Christ, he says, I take responsibility. I'm in charge. But you know what? Do y'all remember you had to be a 50s, 60s, 40s, maybe a 70s? I don't see them anymore. If I can find one, I'm going to get one. I'll go ahead and tell you. Ramsey, you're going to be a year old on the 29th. But if I find one, Pop's going to get one. Here it is. See if y'all know. If I start doing this. No, what is it? Jack in the box. Pop goes the weasel and that little clown jumped out. Somebody say Dad, don't get her one of those. It's going to scare her. I mean, okay, it might. All right. But I remember that. I'd, I'd always, I'd, I'd run around my house and I'd, twi- you know, wind that little thing and that little thing would jump out thing. And I'd, you know, you know, even, you know what I'm learning at 55? I'm becoming a kid again. When we go to the stores now, I go to the children's section. What are you laughing about? If you're a grandparent, you know. It, it's, it's the most intriguing place. I just go over there now and I stand and I read labels. And I'm like, oh, she's not big enough yet, but she could be. And, uh, and, you know, and you just look at all this stuff. But here's Pop Goes the Weasel. Some of us treat God like he's in a box. And God, when I want it, and God, pop out. I want you, God. Here, God, I'm going to step you back in the box. Mm, got you, didn't I? You're like, you were having too much fun with that analogy. How many times did I push God back down? And he wants to rise up and be Lord and master over a given situation. I'm like, God, I'll take you to this event later. Or I'll take you to, the, I'll get in with you later, God. I'll, I'll wind my little thing and you'll, you'll come jumping up. 
And he says, no, I'm not getting in a box. I'm much bigger than your box, Keith. It's the whole Matthew principle, seek ye first the kingdom of God. Restructure your thoughts, your words, your deeds, your actions around the kingdom of Christ. Here it is. Get ready to write with me. We have authority from the word of God. You've been seeing that all morning as I share scripture with you. That's where my authority and your authority comes from. It, it's, it holds a virtue of authority over us by virtue of the author. The author is God. He's the king of creation. The Bible's authority is timeless. Solomon, the wisest man that ever lived, he knew how precious wisdom was, and he had much of it. He was so wise. He had understanding. The Word of God is the voice of God in print, says Tony Evans. Write that down. The Word of God is the voice of God in print. So if I ask you, have you heard from God? I'm not expecting you to go, you audibly, I heard God in the bedroom. Well, you know, honestly, I've been following Christ for a long time. I've never heard the audible voice of God. And I hear the voice of God in my spirit, in the word. This is God's voice print. How many believe that, church? This is good. And if you're not reading his word, some people go, well, you know, I don't hear from God like other people do. Then I just have a simple question. Are you reading God's word? And if you go, well, not very much, there's your clue. If you begin to read God's word, you set yourself up to hear the voice of the king. It can be validated here. Kingdom people respond to the word in humility, in brokenness. And then they allow Christ to shape them and put them on this thing. You know what? you got a messed up life. Take out the word. The Bible fixes a messed up life. I know that to be true. It, it's been fixing me for a long time. It's fixing you. It's redeeming you. It's showing you the word of God. It's showing you the truth. The two most important things God wants us to do is love him with all our being. And to love our neighbor is ourself. I'll talk about our neighbor in a couple weeks in this kingdom installment. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 13 on your outline. It says, fear God and keep his commandments. God, I fear you in reverent, holy fear. And in the process, I choose to obey, to follow to keep your commandments. God, I fear you, and I want to keep your commandments. I, here's the blank. We give Christ first place in everything, according to Colossians. You know, it's so easy to put Jesus in about 10th place, 5th place, 3rd place. You're saying, well, I'm becoming more spiritual. Jesus is in 2nd place. Jesus doesn't like 2nd place. <laughs> Jesus desires 1st place. I'll, I'll show you why I say that. Colossians chapter 1, verse 18. Listen to God's word. Christ is also the head of the church, which is the body. He's the beginning, supreme over all who rise from the dead. So he is first in everything. He is preeminent and he is supreme. In a few weeks when I finish kingdom, I'm going to take you through the book of Colossians. It's one of my favorite epistles. I love this book. And, and, and Colossians could be boiled down to say Christ is supreme, the supremacy of Jesus. Jesus is great. Jesus is Lord. Jesus conquers. Jesus rules over everything. So how do you and I know Christ is first? I want to give you something real practical. If I came up to you this week and we sat down and had lunch and had celery sticks or soup or whatever we're eating, and I said, hey, can you tell me how can I know Christ is first? I, I, I'm in a quest for truth. I want to know. I want to tell young people. I want to tell old people. I want to know how is Christ first. You say, well, how? This is what I think. When you've got a decision to make, a problem to resolve, guidance to seek, 
where do you turn? If Jesus Christ is first, you know where you turn? You turn to him. Now, if Christ isn't first, you turn to your best friend. You turn to the internet. You turn to something else, but you don't turn to Jesus. And when I know he's first, I turn to him for wisdom in that business deal, in that school deal, in that friendship, relational thing that's gone south or going good, in my marriage, in raising kids, in whatever, just any realm of life, Jesus' kingdom transcends, rams, rules, supersedes, overcomes all other realms of life. And if Jesus is first, I turn to Jesus and go, Jesus, how would you have me do this? Jesus, how would you have me go in this direction or that direction? We, we just turn to Christ. I think it's kingdom. We, we, these, faith, these problems we face, we try to uh, make other things a priority, and we run to them. And Christ says, I, I want you to turn to me. That, that's a cool thing. Like, you know, it's, it's this thing. We have to place his kingdom first. Here, here's the illustration that I, I think I'll, I'll do for you. I like baseball. I was a big baseball player growing up. Okay. Pastor Keith gets up, and he hits it, okay? Don't say how far he hit it, but he hit it, okay? He made contact. And I go running down the baseline, and man, I, I'm getting it, and here's first base on the corner. Now watch this, watch this. I'm running, and I'm going right here, but I'm so excited about going to second, I kind of omit first base, and I go to second, baby. Here it is. I touch second. I'm going, 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 going. Mama, how you doing? I'm going, going, going. I get third. Got it. And I come home. Here he is. Y'all cheer for me. Come on now. I'm coming home. Here I, uh, now whatever. I, hey, boom. I made it. Yeah, I scored. Now, there were some people really sharp. They realized something. I forgot to do what? I didn't touch first. They throw it to the first baseman. He touches the bag. Out. See, I can do all the other things, but I forget first base. It's not. If you don't make Christ Lord, you don't make him number one, you don't put him first, all other things are just kind of secondary. They don't really matter. Christ wants me and you to put him supreme, Lord, first. Lord, I want to make you first in whatever situation I find myself. Lord, if I don't make you first, I'm on my own. How's that working for you? <laughs> Recognizing, honoring God's authority, his lordship is putting him first in our affections, in our attention, in our associations, in our ambitions, and in our allegiance. We'd say, Jesus Christ, you are first. I love you. Look at this next point. We realize the necessity of a kingdom mind. God wants us to be kingdom thinkers, that we think and we are meditating and reflected and transformed by the eternal, the mind of Christ. In Romans 8, 5 through 7, those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things, but those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death. But let, this is good news, but letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. For the sinful nature is always hostile to God. It never did obey God's laws, and it never will. Letting the Spirit control, fashion, form, frame your mind makes a difference. Kingdom thinking is a kingdom mindset. Lord, give us kingdom thinkers, kingdom youth, 
kingdom children, kingdom adults, for the glory of Christ, Lord, that we think about you. I always love to go back to this person because she models humility and brokenness and wisdom as Mother Teresa. When she started a home for the dying there in Calcutta of India, on the dying streets, she captured the imagination of the world because Mother Teresa thought on a different plane than most people. She thought about people that were far from God, people that were hurting, people that were destitute, people that were in a tough place. And other people go, why waste time and attention on people that are just dying? And she saw them as souls and humans with value and with dignity. And I'm thinking, when you and I are a part of the kingdom and we become kingdom people, our kingdom thinks different thoughts. Our, our minds, they, they go to different places they don't when we're just thinking about ourselves. And it, it begins to shape and it gives us a kingdom mindset. And it means that Jesus, he tells us that he's going to reward people that have kingdom thoughts and kingdom minds. That one day they will get a rich reward in heaven. I'm calling us to that. I mean, there's a lot about the word that talks about rewards in the hereafter. And people tell me, well, I don't care, Brother Keith. If I just get to heaven, that's going to be enough. Let me tell you, you're, you're copping out. That, that's not it. Jesus will determine if you get there and if you escape by the fire and the flame. I don't know about that. I want you to be holy. I want you to become all you can be in this life that Jesus might one day present rewards to you that you might lay them at the feet of the King of kings and Lord of lords and worship him and we praise God together. Amen? Not, well, I, I made it in the pearly gates. Man, that's, that's just dumb, not kingdom thinking, okay? So we realize when the words of Jesus, when I read them, they're not words of this earthly kingdom. They're words of a higher kingdom, the kingdom of his Father. I've come to proclaim the kingdom, says Jesus. It's already begun. It's a, uh, here, here's this, write this in here. We proclaim the kingdom, write it in. We proclaim the kingdom when we live for Christ. We proclaim the kingdom by deed, and by word. Luke 9 says, he said to another person, come follow me. The man agreed, but he said, Lord, first let me return home and bury my father. But Jesus told him, let the spiritually dead bury their own dead. Your duty is to go and preach about the kingdom of God. Now that sounds like an insensitive statement, but I think what Jesus is really saying is there's something a lot more important than the, the affairs of this world. They're the affairs of my father that gave me a mission to come and save and seek that which was lost, but also to preach his kingdom, to actually decide to do his kingdom. As I was studying about kingdom, I thought about it. Sometimes we say we're kingdom people, I trust in the kingdom, but I don't intend to obey the rules of the kingdom. I don't even know if you're really in the kingdom. That's between you and Jesus. It's like this. If you go to the auto mechanic this week and the mechanic says, you know, you've got a fuel pump problem. And I suggest that you put a new fuel pump on your car. If not, you're going to get stuck on the interstate. And you go, what does he know? He's just an auto mechanic. He just works on cars. I choose not to do it. What happens? Yeah. You go to the doctor. The doctor says, this is what I prescribed for you. This is a surgery. This is the medicine you need to take. If you follow my guidelines, you should get better. You go. What does the doctor know? He's only been to school for however many years. He's a dummy. I know more than a doctor. And some of you are going, hey, man, how'd you know? You've been hearing my conversations this week, and you don't do it, and you get sicker and die. Okay, so here, here's what I'm trying to say. Jesus tells us to do things. We go, well, he's just King Jesus. What does he know about life? 
He is life. He knows everything. And he wants us to follow his kingdom. I, I think it's a pretty good analogy here that Jesus says, trust me. Look at this with me quickly. When you're kingdom-minded, you're a kingdom person, you give your resources to the kingdom. You just hand over the keys of your heart and your treasures and go, Jesus, I crown you Lord of all my possessions and all that I have and all that I want to be. And Psalm 50, 10 through 12, listen to this. For all the animals of the forest are mine and I own the cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird on the mountains and all the animals of the field are mine. And if I were hungry, I would not tell you. For all the world is mine and everything in it. So what belongs to Jesus? Wait a minute. What belongs to Jesus? Everything. Everything you and I've got. We don't own anything. You're like, well, you, you ain't been to the bank with me. I got a note. It's got my name on it. They said they would put me in jail, incarcerate, take it from me if I don't pay for it. No, you're just managing it for Jesus for a season. And then you get to turn it back in. It's like this. Don and I did this when we were in student ministry, before we had kids. We would house sit sometimes. We would, basically, we, we would kid sit. And I, I, I thought about this, Donna. This is before Rachel. There was this house that was really cool. It was the coolest house me and Donna had been in in our life pretty much. And they had this humongous kitchen and they had this bathtub. It was like a swimming pool for eight. And it was just big, big gourmet kitchen. It was the coolest place. And we got there. And before we went in, the lady said, now, I've got some rules. And she told us the rules. And you know what? It wasn't my house. I wasn't paying the mortgage. You know what we did? Don and I followed the rules to the T because this was a house we were just sitting in. It wasn't ours. We were just kind of a manager for the weekend while they were away taking care of their kid. And I'm thinking about it. Man, that's a perfect illustration for you and me. You said, but it's my house. Eh, you got it wrong. It's Jesus' house. What's Jesus? Everything. And Lord, this is your car. This is your truck. This is your air conditioner. Hey, here's the cool part when Jesus owns it. And Jesus is up to you to fix it. And, uh, and, uh, and that I mean you just sitting there and say a prayer and it just gets done. But he takes responsibility for that which he owns. It's kingdom. God, I'm grateful for that. You own it all. You don't share ownership. I don't know about us. You know, a lot of us in this world, stuff we think we own, we're a little selfish if we're really honest. I mean, like, I like my car, okay? I'll just go ahead and be honest with you. It's fun. I enjoy driving it. And I would... I almost said I'd let you drive it. I don't know. If you ain't got a license, forget it. But, uh, but, you, know, and, but you know, I manage it for a season down here. And then, and then it's going to die or I'm going to die and we'll, we'll hopefully get another one. I don't know. But it's like, God, but every day I just take my earth stuff and I go, God, my watches, my car, my house, my family, my kids, my health, Jesus is yours. I don't own anything. And it just keeps, gives me a kingdom-minded perspective because if I don't, I get selfish. I'm like, well, that, that's mine. Mine. What, what are the kids? Right now, if we all go out to the front hall and we start trying to take something from kids, what are they going to say? Mine. Mine. I mean, you ever seen kids do this? They hand it out to you, and you go to get it, and they snatch it back. Because it's mine. I don't want to share that. You know, adults, we're the same way. We just kind of, hmm, I don't want you to have it. Yeah, it's mine. It's my coat. It's my car. It's my tennis shoes. It's my baseball bat. It's my basketball. You can't have it. Go get your own. Okay, whatever. All right. Look at this last one. We have a kingdom inheritance. We have a kingdom inheritance when we become his. I love this. Colossians says we're working for the Lord rather than for people. Our inheritance is our reward, according to verse 24. Faithfulness determines inheritance. Entrance into the kingdom is assured forever when we place our faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. 
So we have an eternal inheritance by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That is good news. That is eternal. I, I want to establish that, okay? But right now, we only receive a portion of the inheritance. If, if you had some folks that were wealthy or whatever, and they chose to share a portion of their inheritance with you on this life, that would be good. But when they're dead and gone, they share the full inheritance. It's all yours. Our Father does the same thing. When He calls us home, when He comes back to establish His kingdom on this earth, a new earth, a new kingdom, then He allows us to share with Him in the full inheritance of Christ. Did you know it's going to be the most glorious inheritance we've ever dreamed of? So what's your inheritance? What are you sending ahead? What are you building for the kingdom? Inheritance is for finishers. Write that down. Inheritance is for those that finish the faith. Finish the race. Run the race effectively. Don't shrink back. I like this. We can actually, the, the vision of life in the kingdom through reliance upon Jesus makes it possible for us to intend to live in the kingdom. We actually decide to do the kingdom. We intend to obey the kingdom. We intend to follow after Christ. You can't actually believe the truth about trusting Christ Intending to obey him and then not do it. It's a mental impossibility. I mean, it's like when I say, Jesus, you are Lord. Jesus, I submit to you. I don't want to smother out anything else. Lord, I want you to form me. I want you to frame me. I want you to make me yours. Lord, I want to be a part of your eternal kingdom. I yield to you. So this morning, that's all I'm trying to say as we wrap up. I've told you the story about Gandhi. Gandhi said, I would have become a believer in Jesus Christ. But Christians did not practice their belief. They didn't really live out what I read in the words of Jesus. So tomorrow, when you and I go to the marketplace, to the school, the world's watching. There goes a kingdom person. There goes a kingdom person. There goes another kingdom person. That's who I want to become. So, in a post-Christian era that we live now, will you be liked? Will you be Christ? Let's pray. Lord, I am grateful for this morning for these amazing people called the Christ Community Faith Family and guests that have gathered with us this Sunday morning. And Lord, I've just tried to teach from your word that you've called us to be kingdom-minded, kingdom people that have a great inheritance, kingdom citizens, kingdom followers, kingdom doers. Jesus, make us more like you. Help me to every time I want to follow my kingdom and build my life upon the things that I think are important, help me to look at your book and say, Jesus, what does it mean to be kingdom-centered, kingdom-focused? Lord, I pray today people will have grace to take up their cross and follow you.